Hello, and welcome to the pilot episode of Rooted Radio, the podcast companion to the Moscow Food Co-op's free quarterly publication, Rooted. My name is Max Newland. I'm the Education and Events Coordinator at the Moscow Food Co-op, and I am delighted to bring this show to you. Uh, it's going to be a very experimental kind of thing, so feedback from you will be very important in develop how this show will look and feel from here on out. So if you have any feedback for us, you can send it to outreach at moscofood.coop. That's moscofood.coop, and we will take a look at it. Roughly 50% of all produce in the United States is thrown away. That's according to The Atlantic, which reported in 2016 that the U.S. throws away some 600 million tons of produce annually. And the Moscow Food Co-op aims to change that. A main priority of the Moscow Food Co-op's daily operations, food waste reduction is multifaceted. At the co-op, there are several methods in place to help reduce the amount of food that's thrown in the trash. One of these methods is the donation of day-old bread from the co-op's bakery to local food banks. This bread once went straight to the compost, but at the co-op, this still edible staple is redistributed back to the community. For 2017, the total food bank donations added up to 3,182 pounds of bread and 2,051 pounds of other food. That's one thing that really sets the co-op apart from other grocery stores or from other food businesses in the community, Melinda Schaub, general manager of the Moscow Food Co-op, said. It shows what can be done on an industrial level if you have a group of people that care about it in the same way. Another key player in this effort is the co-op's produce department. The co-op often sees blemished or misshapen fruits and veggies get neglected by customers. This misshapen food is still edible, but traditional supermarkets are forced to stock produce according to unrealistic cosmetic perfection standards. The blemished foods are referred to as B-stock, or seconds. Due to this demand, large-scale farmers avoid selling the seconds to supermarkets, which in turn wastes perfectly edible food, according to Business Insider's 2014 article, Why Grocery Stores Like Trader Joe's Throw Out So Much Perfectly Good Food. At the co-op, blemished or misshapen produce has many more uses and is held in higher regard. First, if he must, produce manager Logan Morris can take it off the shelf and determine the best way it can be utilized, freeing it out to staff, using it in the co-op kitchen, or donating it to local farmers. This avocado is not pretty. Maybe you wouldn't spend money on it, Morris said, holding up an avocado half green and half black. But we know that it's perfectly edible and still delicious, and someone wants it. Damaged or misshapen produce that is still edible is placed in a box that's left in the shed in the co-op's alley, where farmers can come grab it at their discretion. Every day, farmers and growers on the Palouse stop by to take scraps and leftovers for use in their gardens or for their livestock. This creates an efficient and effective system at the co-op where all food is used or returned to the food system. Farmers and growers on the Palouse also benefit from using the co-op's produce. The foods are all organic free from sprays commonly used to preserve produce, Morris said. This ensures the livestock eat better than they may otherwise. If the produce is genuinely damaged or expiring and it's no longer edible, it can still be composted, Morris said. The composted produce is placed into a box in the employee section of the produce department and taken outside whenever necessary. The goal is for no food to end up in the trash can. And this is more easily achieved when everyone at the co-op is intentional about where their discarded foods end up. Over the last few years, the co-op's sustainability committee has focused its efforts on providing efficient food recycling options within the store and by providing new composting options. 
White five-gallon buckets are placed in key areas around the store for employees to use when they need to dispose of food scraps. Behind the deli counter and in the kitchen, white buckets are also placed at the end of each table, so the co-op employees are easily able to toss vegetable scraps, the ends of bread, or anything that can be turned into compost. The co-op's kitchen can use remaining ingredients, such as roasted veggies or steamed beans, in new soups or quesadillas. Mira Warner, co-op kitchen manager, said this reduces the amount of food that is thrown directly into the trash or compost. If the kitchen has vegetable scraps they can't use, they donate them to local farmers to use as food for their livestock. This allows the ingredients to be contributed directly back into the food system here on the Palouse, alongside the produce mentioned earlier. The co-op has systems in place, things like the Sustainability Committee, where we hope we can show everyone this is the way it should have been done from the beginning, Warner said. You know food being sold by the co-op is either being used to feed the public, used to feed the staff, used to feed the local food system, or returned to the composter to be returned to the earth. When the co-op's five-gallon compost buckets are full, they are taken to Palouse Clearwater Environmental Institute, PCEI. PCEI has promoted citizen involvement in sustainable living for the past 32 years it's been on the Palouse. The co-op has two large composters, which recently moved to the PCEI site. They're 10 feet tall and they smelled terrible, Morris said. They're named Ertha and Bertha. For a while, the Moscow Food Co-op only had one composter. A waste audit done a few years ago found a lot more food waste could be composted if the co-op had two composters. The main market, Spokane's cooperative grocery store, had a composter they were not utilizing, Bonner said. It was the exact composter the Moscow Food Co-op already had, so it just made sense to buy it from them. The two composters have allowed the co-op to double the space available for food waste, basically allowing everything to be composted. Around 6,000 pounds are composted every three or four weeks, Bonner said, as compared to just a few years ago, only 3,000 pounds every three months. In many other countries around the world, food waste is closer to being eliminated. In France, for instance, supermarkets are banned from throwing away food. They direct scraps and waste into composters and food banks, too. The Guardian reported in 2015 that this legislation was aimed at tackling the epidemic of waste alongside food poverty. The U.S. might have a long way to go, but the Moscow Food Co-op hopes each of its systems can help us get there. We don't want to live in a community or a world where so many people are hungry, but so many people are throwing away food, said Melinda Schaub. Anything we can do for the Palouse, we will explore. you just heard was called Fighting Food Waste by Sabrina Slattery. You can read along with these stories at moscofood.coop slash rooted. That's moscofood.coop slash r-o-o-t-e-d. There you can also take a look at the beautiful photography and design work that goes into each edition of Rooted. Thanks so much for joining us. Next up, The Beauty by Alicia Rock and The Beasts by Max Newland.
past the prettiness of a petite bloom on the plate, edible flowers and herb blossoms are powerful and unique ingredients. From golden chrysanthemum garnishes used in ancient China to red petal safflower for oil in Egypt, flowers and herb blossoms have been powerful threads of flavor in world cuisines for thousands of years. In upper-class Victorian England, the use of edible flowers was quite common. Culinary dishes and beverages often included delicate blooms for flavor and aesthetics. Both fresh and candied edible blossoms decorated tower-high desserts, molded foods, and homemade jellies and pickles. Served alongside elderflower liqueur or dandelion tea, lavishly ornamented desserts like rosewater cakes, lemon verbena candies, and apple tarts could round out a meal. Flowers gradually fell from favor, but recently cooking and garnishing plates with flowers is enjoying a revival. Edible flowers are cropping up on menus and plates all across the world, from the haughtiest French cafes to the simplest donut shops in California. Flowers like syrupy borage, herbal lavender, or peppery nasturtium add an indefinable hint of flavor to each bite. It's the role of chefs to look for new flavors. Jean-Georges von Gerichten of New York City's three Michelin star restaurant Jean-Georges told Food and Wine in 2001. Flowers are beautiful to start with. People eat them raw in salads, so I thought it would be interesting to cook with them. Von Gerichten isn't the only one to think so. Starting in the 1990s, Michel Bras and Marc Vera, two French chefs, each with three Michelin stars, reclaimed the use of edible flowers in modern cuisine. And since then, some of the world's most renowned and artistic chefs have positioned edible flowers as legitimate ingredients in fine dining. At restaurant Meadowood in California, Christopher Kostov uses flowering herbs and seasonal blossoms in his culinary garden to enhance his dishes. Celebrated celebrity chef Ferran Edria used florals to help him explore his culinary aptitude, coming up with treats like candy floss encrusted with colorful petals. Magnus Nielsen of Favikan in northern Sweden forages for only the most beautiful field flowers to use as the top layer in his tartare. All of these chefs see flowers as essential ingredients. And while, yes, it is about the attention to detail and visual beauty, edible flowers are a communication tool as well. Championing sustainability and safeguarding the idea that seasonal dining means eating what's outside when it's outside, edible flowers and blossoming plants emphasize the beauty of the environment and local offerings of a region. Nutrition is another facet of flora. Most edible flowers can help ward off infections by supplying vitamin C. Nasturtium contains 10 times more vitamin C than lettuce, and a small amount of vitamin D. A cup of raw borage delivers 31.2 milligrams of C, which is about 42% of the daily requirement for women, and 35% of the daily requirement for men. Edible weeds, like dandelion, provide vitamin A and are high in calcium. Cruciferous vegetable flowers, like broccoli and cauliflower, have many of the same benefits as vegetables themselves. Squash and cucumber blossoms, tissue papery and airy, are packed with calcium and iron and vitamins A and C. In a study that analyzed the nutritional value of 12 different edible flowers, the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics showed that edible flowers may have the potential to be used as an additive in food to help prevent chronic disease and prevent food oxidation. Direct quote. The flowers with the peak mineral content were violas, chrysanthemum, and dianthus, with potassium being the most plentiful mineral. 
There's plenty of folklore surrounding eating edible flowers as well. One old wives' tale states that if a woman slipped a bit of borage, which Roman author Pliny the Elder believed to be an antidepressant, into her beloved man's drink, it would give him the courage to propose. In Tatterhood, a Norwegian folktale, the queen seeks the advice of an old beggar wife to help her conceive. Against the old woman's advice, the queen eats two flowers instead of one. Follows is a quote from the story. When she looked under the bed the next morning, there stood two flowers. One was ugly and foul and had black leaves, but the other was so bright and fair and lovely, she had never seen its like. So she ate it up at once, but the pretty flower tasted so sweet that she couldn't help herself. She ate the other up too, for she thought, it can't hurt or help one much either way, I'll be bound. The queen then gave birth to one girl with ragged hair who rode a goat and carried a spoon in her hand, and another who was, quote, so fair and sweet, no one had ever set eyes on such a lovely child. The story ends well, but we won't spoil it. The phrase, to eat lotus, was used by writers to mean to forget or to be unmindful. In the Odyssey, Odysseus reaches the land of the lotus eaters and his crew also partake in eating the mysterious plant. They become so blissfully apathetic and sleepy, they had to be dragged back to the ship while weeping bitterly, lest they never return to their duties. Regardless of your reason for exploring the wonderful world of edible blossoms, we've included two recipes for you. Just check them out at moscowfood.coop slash rooted. It's not rare to see diners at restaurants whipping out their smartphones to document the beautiful appearance of a well-plated meal. You may have even done it at home to share with your hashtag foodie friends on Instagram. Demand for beautiful, shareable, artistic food is high, and that means some not-so-beautiful specimens end up in the trash. This is why chefs, growers, food photographers, and more are now rallying behind what they affectionately refer to as the ugly food movement. And it's not just about reclaiming flawed fruits and veggies. It's about building a sustainable system that reduces food waste by challenging shoppers' food buying habits. Think about the last time you bought a load of fresh fruits and vegetables. Did you pass up a couple of bruised apples? Maybe you left behind a crooked carrot in favor of the more traditional Frosty's Nose variety. More than a third of produce sold in the United States is thrown out before it even reaches the checkout lane. Some sources place the number as high as 50% in 2017. So obviously, retailers know what you're looking for. Most consumers want pretty, perfect produce, free of blemishes and bruises. Wilted lettuce and brown apples need not apply. The unfortunate side effect of these preferences is that millions of pounds of edible, nutritious food end up in landfills every year, feeding flies and not people. Ugly food is practical, too. Containing the same amount of nutrients, buying misshapen, discolored, or otherwise appealing food helps reduce waste, and at many grocery stores and supermarkets, you'll even find them at a lower price. Like your co-op's discounted brown bananas, for example. Not only does that mean less cost for the consumer, it adds up to extra profits for the farmers. Normally, unappealing produce has to be shipped back to its source to be wasted, shipping paid for by the farmer. When ugly food sells, farmers profit on what would have otherwise been a loss. 
While major retailers are slow to adopt trends like the ugly food movement, Moscow is fortunate to have options for consumers who want to support local farmers and reduce food waste. Of course, shopping at the co-op is one way to do that. And during summer and early fall, the farmer's market provides you with local choices raised by small-scale growers. It takes more than voting with your wallet to keep the movement alive, however. Organizations like the Food Recovery Network are helping support food banks and community centers and redistributing rejected produce. Washington State University hosts a chapter of the Food Recovery Network that partners with the Whitman Community Action Center to help collect unwanted fruits and veggies from local stores. Even now, you can go to imperfectproduce.com to sign up for a monthly delivery box of fresh, organic, ugly produce to turn into beautiful, nutritious meals for your family. Because of the ugly food movement, laws have been rolled back which prescribe specific standards of appearance for fruits and vegetables in countries across the world. A petition featured recently on Change.org calling on large retailers to start carrying ugly produce collected over 130,000 signatures. You can find additional calls to action today. Talk with your neighbors about ugly produce. And if you grow your own, show off your non-traditional products to friends and family so they can see how beautiful ugly food can be. Don't be afraid to encourage them to be more thoughtful about what they keep and what they toss. For more research, check out Ugly Food, Overlooked and Undercooked by Tim Wharton and Richard Horsey. As they point out, changing our food systems will mean changing how we think and talk about food. We've also included a few ugly recipes for you and ingredients you might find at the Moscow Food Co-op in the spring issue of Rooted. One thing we all have in common with the food we eat is that you can't always judge a book by its cover. When it comes to food and people, it's what's inside that counts. So I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the pilot episode of Rooted Radio. Uh, you can expect so much more from the complete product, including interviews, uh, roundtable discussions, all kinds of stuff. Any suggestions you have are welcome. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time.